Hey, this is Josh. Thanks for tuning into the show, Healers on Healing. I wanted to make this show because we can get caught in the trappings of life. Responsibilities, bills to pay, kids to feed, just all these things that take our attention. And to me, healing and being our healthiest self gets neglected. I thought it'd be interesting to ask my colleagues and other professionals what the heck this thing, health and healing, is. I hope these conversations inspire you, demystify the process, maybe reinforce what you already know, and give you new ideas on how to be the healthiest you. In today's episode, my guest Julia Carpenter talks with me about the healing arts of acupuncture. Julia is a founder and practitioner at the Berkeley Acupuncture Project. Tune in as she talks about the radical notion of self-care, the inherent wisdom of the body, making healing more accessible and more affordable, and what she predicts the future of healing holds. My name is Julia Carpenter. I am a licensed acupuncturist in California, and I'm one of the co-founders and and the clinic manager of Berkeley Acupuncture Project, which is a community model. We have about 18 chairs all in a big room with a bunch of like 18 lazy boy chairs, basically, and we're open seven days a week. We see 500 people a week. People come in, they pay on a sliding scale of 18 to $40, and we let people choose whatever that is. We don't say like, oh, how much money do you make? We had an accountant once that said, like, well, what if Bill Gates showed up and wanted to pay 18? It's like, great. You know, he's probably got a lot of kids in college. He probably has a lot of properties he has to pay for. Who knows how much? You know, like, that's just not our connection to it. And that low fee allows the accessibility of acupuncture to be something that isn't an obstacle for people to get health care. So that's the model of community acupuncture. And uh, we started that in 2009. There's about 200 of us in North America, and we're all part of a big nonprofit cooperative, do a lot of great national conferences and do a lot of continuing education units nationally. We're all teaching each other like, here's what I learned. So I left my private practice in 2009 to start that with my business partners. So that's something I'm really passionate about. Beautiful. I want to go both avenues with you. Mm -hmm. One is the health and wellness that you feel acupuncture Mm-hmm. is cultivating, so I want to mm-hmm. talk just about that, and then obviously this more the system of health and wellness mm-hmm. yeah. that I hear a lot of passion there too. Mm-hmm. So I, I I think first I'll just ask you about acupuncture and like yeah, what's your take on the health and wellness that this modality is cultivating or yeah, good yeah. question. It's a complicated yeah. question. It's a multifaceted yeah. approach, you know, to answering yeah. it. I'm glad you didn't ask me, how does acupuncture work? Because that's the question. It's like, yeah, well, you know, I can make something up. And everybody makes something up and they get to, like brand it and package it and they're serious. So, you know, we don't know. But how I think acupuncture offers a sense of health and wellness to people, just at the most basic primary level, it's a way to unplug and it's a way to reduce stress. And stress is at the core of so much inflammation, so much disease, of so much 
unease in our bodies, spiritually, our psycho-spiritual bodies. So just taking a half hour, a radical act of self-care, I often call it, just to, just somebody getting in and just like, okay, I'm going to be here and do nothing for a half hour, 45 minutes. And in that doing nothing, I'm actually really honoring my body, my presence as an invitation to my body. Like, would you be willing to feel healthier? Would you be willing to go back to a, a level of homeostasis, even just for that little bit of time? And then we go out the doors and they're like, you know, the stress and everything. Just like, okay, back in next week. Some of us have to come every week just to reset that threshold of basic level stress. But for people who are in chronic pain, people with any kind of chronic disorders, autoimmune disorders, chronic digestive disorders, that inflammation, that inflammatory response in the body, acupuncture is just fantastic for just kind of resetting that, uh, resetting the central nervous system, the whole sympathetic, parasympathetic axis, the adrenal cortex, the cortisol, adrenal, like, all of that just kind of gets reset, like I said, to homeostasis. So even people with stress, anxiety, insomnia, addiction issues, it's just invaluable for calming the system down and just giving a little breather. So instead of reacting in the world, like a lot of people do when they're having any kind of health issue, just to even get by, just kind of resetting that to where that there's a space to respond. And that's what we hear from, that's what I experience when I get acupuncture, that's what we hear over and over again from our patients, that that's what's happening when they're sitting in the chair with the needles in. I chuckle when I ask this question, but I often ask healers this question. I've always wondered, like, why isn't our body designed better? Right. <laughs> like, why aren't we just in a state of homeostasis, right. you know? How, how can we get out how, of it? How right? can we get out of it? Yeah. How can we get out of it? And then need to do these healing acts to get yeah. back to it. And I'm curious if you just have a general sense of, have you thought about that question? Or you, sure. Yeah, like, what? Capitalism, what? man. <laughs> I like, like that. It's, it's rough. So our culture is, is you know, I think that... The people who are, all you have to do is just drive two blocks. I, I have a joke about um, if I miss acupuncture, when my barometer of like, uh-oh, I need more acupuncture, is people start driving really badly when I have not been getting my regular acupuncture. And or my, when my children were teenagers, like, they were so much nicer to me when I was getting acupuncture. So that sense of it's so easy, really, for stress and worry and just all the things we have to do to get by to just throw things off. Now, that's obviously a very... There's a lot of people not living in the Bay Area who are also having a lot of health issues. A lot of people in lots of places in the world that are having health issues. And even people like the, the happiest, you know, self-sufficient people living on 20 acres with everything and quiet and not plugged in, they may also have health issues. I believe that the body, our bodies... Any injury or um, whether it be a psycho-spiritual injury or uh, emotional somatic connection injury, that those get stored in the body. And so epigenetics is a term that is kind of coming to surface where people are starting to talk about that. And there's, they're really learning a lot of links about what epigenetics, which is kind of those external factors that can actually change our genetics. And sometimes those can be really emotional things. Sometimes those can be multi-generational things where um, even at the cellular level, a disease from a grandmother, not just from the genetics, but like a, a fear of something can be transferred at the cellular level onto an infant from the cellular things that were happening on when it was a fetus. 
So there's a lot of lineage now for us to have a deeper understanding about just all the things that can go wrong and then get stored inside the body. So that's, that's one theory. It's a powerful theory, right? It feels very truthful to me and when I reflect on my own experience, my experience seeing people in my practice. Tell me if this feels accurate. What I love about the acupuncture approach is it, it honors both. It honors how our bodies are magnets to store things, mm-hmm. but it also seems like when you said, we don't actually know what's going on, but you're using the body somehow to Absolutely. unstore yeah. things. Yeah. That there's also a way that we can through acupuncture, through other modalities, yeah. get the body to let go. Yes, yeah. And there's something very powerful and healing and yeah. healthy when our yeah. body feels a little more free, when it feels a little more Absolutely. And really trusting the innate wisdom of the body. Another modality that I use and I'm learning more, getting more training on, and this will sound crazy, but it's quantum medicine, the quantum body. And it's very hard to talk about, so I'm not even going to necessarily try, but body talk, body intuitive, really understanding the science of the body and understanding the language. Chinese medicine, so three, 4,000 years ago, they're like, they're mapping all these meridians and these energy flows in the body. The more scientifically astute we get and sophisticated we get, it's actually proving, matching up to like this concept of qi and how it flows through the body. So in, in Chinese medicine, when there's pain anywhere... It's just an obstruction of chi flow, chi or blood or something. That's what's causing the pain. So if you can open that up. So let's say you hurt your elbow. There's definitely many different styles for treating a certain kind of pain, like elbow pain. You've hurt your elbow, you've been playing tennis, and it's all inflamed and it hurts. Some styles of acupuncture would go directly and they put needles in the area. And then that theory would be the endorphins are being released and you know, you're at the elbow, your brain knows it's your elbow and it's kind of healing the elbow. One of my favorite teachers, Dr. Richard Tan, um, who died a number of years ago, but he, it was just fantastic. He came up with a system. He said, don't spank the crying baby. Like that elbow is sort of like you do distal points. And because of the way the meridians interact, and he kind of mapped out this system where it actually goes back to the Bagua in the, in the I Ching, the way that the meridians connect with each other. There's those two approaches. One, to do the opposite knee. So if somebody came in with elbow pain and it's probably swollen or bruised, maybe they fell off their bike, I don't want to injure it more. It's really like the body is already working on healing that. Going to the opposite side knee. Knees are a lot like elbows. Ankles are a lot like wrists. Ankles in the back of your heel is a lot like your occiput in your neck. And treating those areas, it can have a profound effect on the area that's injured. So there's this hologram, again, that innate wisdom, like the body knows what to do with the information. And so it sounds crazy, but we've just seen amazing results. And again, just trusting that the body has an answer and just, it just needs a little reminder to that invitation to, for the patient or the client to just open up and trust that the body's going to do what it needs to do to fix whatever's injured or has suffered or got stuck in a pattern like an insomnia pattern or anxiety pattern. It's pretty fascinating to think about all the different ways to use the the intelligence of the body to heal the body. I mean, I get that the logical mind gets stuck on these things and the logical mind's like, what? what? <laughs> Qi, body energy, yeah. tree, you know, and, and I get, and that's very much 
to go back to when you were like capitalism, like I feel like that's very like Western society has really put a lot of power on the brain and our mind understanding things. But I do think there's something very powerful about this reclaiming of like the wisdom Mm -hmm. that the body actually, and it's funny where we trust and where we don't, right? Mm -hmm. Like I cut my skin I don't doubt my skin's gonna scab over exactly and heal itself. You know, I pull a muscle. I don't doubt that if I rest, my muscle will get. It's just it's funny yeah. where we've allowed the body wisdom to be, and then where we sort of oh well, acupuncture. It's interesting. So my background before I became an acupuncturist, um, well, I didn't things, but I didn't go. I went back to school to get my bachelor's degree. I was in my thirties, and I studied philosophy. It being one of those people leaving a bachelor's degree with like, oh, now what do I do with that degree in philosophy? I know, I'll apply to graduate school. So I was actually, did five years of my doctorate program and it was an interdisciplinary program. So my combination was the history of science and technology, medical anthropology, and rhetoric. And the rhetoric was an interesting element that came in, that rhetoric of risk and fear that drives so many people making certain kinds of medical choices or choices about themselves. And when you're doing something like, a, you know, a dissertation, you have to pick one thing and have that thing be the, the lens through which you can discover other things. So I did reproductive technology, women who choose home birth, how they navigate technology. So the concept of it, this embodied knowledge, this innate knowing, if you think of the word in embodied rhetoric or this concept of embodied knowledge, the concept even of remembering that word to remember is to remember, like bringing the, your limbs back into bringing the members of your own corporeal body back into one. So it's fascinating. This goes back to like ancient, the pre-Socratics and there's been a thread and, and Western science when Descartes came in and, you know, separated the mind and body. Thank you so much, Renee. To bring that back together is a deep, understanding again of this innate wisdom of the body it shouldn't be or it's interesting to me and i don't it's not shouldn't i don't i used to be more polemical about it i'm not anymore um forgive them they know what they do (laughs) no not what they do (laughs) to just think of like oh okay well that's actually going back to something that's much older and has sustained for many centuries before this separation of looking at the body as this mechanical thing where you would you know doctors now focus in on just one thing and they're really starting to come back to this more holistic understanding of the bigger body, the bigger picture. How did you break through our cultural training? You're obviously incredibly smart, gifted. I I can tell your mind works, so your mind wants to understand these things. Think about too many things at once, yeah. yeah. How did you... I'm always curious of how people found their way to this bigger thing that is is harder to hold that's more faith trust Mm -hmm. well that's an interesting question um you know i probably was one of those children i was always a little rebellious always a little you know i did you know my sixth grade project on esp you know like that was my mother was sure i was going to join a cult or something so already like anything you know but back then they called anything paranormal right so just curious about the way unanswered questions in the world. So that was always my curiosity. And like I said, with my PhD in a multidisciplinary program, I wasn't ever going to be a card-carrying member of one discipline because it was too constraining. I wanted to ask questions that 
really connected with other disciplines. I'm more of a conceptual thinker, the bigger picture. And that informs all of my understanding of the concept of health and wellness. If I'm going to be eating something, what choices am I going to be making eating? What are the ripple impacts? I'm not going to eat something that is beneficial for me, but at the cost of either somebody else or the planet. Or It's kind of a burden, actually, to, to be think this kind of thinker, because every choice you make has, you have to think about all of the other bigger impacts of it. So at some point, though, you just have to take action and do one thing. I think, you know, it wasn't until I was in my 40s when I decided to become an acupuncturist. So I was late to the game. And not that acupuncture is the be-all and end-all, that I was just more called to that. It's kind of somehow satisfied my feminist post-structural philosophical understandings of how the world worked rather than the strict Western scientific method model. Science is its own. Western science is a cultural artifact. And not to denig that's not a denigrating statement, but so how to critique it with us. Like, I love science, right? I'm, I, I love getting in an airplane and flying away. I love when I've had my, any surgeries I've had. Like, thank God for anesthesias and scalpels and, you know, clean <laughs> gloves and all of the things that they've learned in Western science. But it's not the be-all, end-all. There's a, a context for it. And I love understanding all of how that web, what connects to what, and what connects to the power struggles and the power structures. So that's where the philosophy degree came in with, you know, studying Foucault and how power works, or, you know, institutional, everything, racism, patriarchy, and that's going to sound really like, oh my god, there she is, one of those Berkeley feminists, but really from an understanding of getting rid of the dualities, getting rid of the binaries, what, what does the continuum look like? I think I can't not see all of it when I'm looking. And it's a beautiful gift, and I'm sure a curse as well, as you Sometimes say. So. <laughs> but it's a good lead-in. You're fighting systems, right? I mean, you're really coming in and I hear your openness to it. How are you awakening this? Like, mm -hmm. How do you feel people are reached to think more globally, to mm -hmm. think more just open to healing being yeah. a very different modality. Yeah. I mean, it's a good one, you know, and that's that, you know, kind of the koan of human life, how to manifest and surrender at the same time. One of the reasons why I love our clinic so much is that it's really important for us to just have it be, it's the welcoming space. How to remove as many obstacles and barriers as possible. So just getting somebody in, and even if they have to wait for us for 10 or 15 minutes because we're scurrying about pulling other people's needles, even checking their energy from the time they walk in the door to the time by the time we roll up to them, it's quiet, everybody's whispering, it's just, it's dimly lit. There's that, and just that act of a deep breath, a resting, a being off grid, they're not on their phone, and nobody's, mom, mom, dad, nobody's getting them during that time. They've carved out that space. I believe that that is at least half of it. And then the energy exchange by somebody listening. Art Kleiman, Harvard um, MD, PhD, and medical anthropologist, has this whole book called The Illness Narratives, and really understood people who are in chronic pain, the ones who gave, had an opportunity to tell their story, they didn't experience as much deep pain. So just that opening, and I'm sure you experience this in your practice, just that the share, the opening and, oh, here's a story coming up. 
I have an option, an opportunity to share it with someone who's really holding space for me, that's a healing in and of itself. So I do that all day long. I roll up and I hold space. And then the needles are almost secondary to the, the magic that's happening of the agreement. And some people are more aware of that agreement or what's that connection and that exchange than others. And that doesn't matter. Sometimes they're just there. They just want their nap or they just want their ankle fixed. And that's fine too. But they're still getting all of it, whether their conscious mind is, is aware of it. And I have no idea whether that answered your question. <laughs> well, no, I love, I love it because, yeah, what I heard is the more we can welcome in people, just get them in the door and starting to feel something, mm -hmm. the more it awakens mm -hmm. yeah. all of this. Yeah. Even the person who just said, oh, whatever. Yeah. If, they, oh, yeah. if they can even just visit your clinic. Yeah. They're going to start to see something, smell something, mm -hmm. taste something. Notice that does, something. Notice, notice something. That's huge. And boy, that helps awaken. Yeah. Again, something. Or just be seen. Or just be, be seen. heard, be held. Right. Um, there are a lot of people in pain and all different kinds of pain. And so sometimes we get people like they can't even talk. Their grief is so strong. And that can be really paralyzing. How do you get through? You can't even talk about it until the body can breathe again to find the words or the avenue to the words. So sometimes we, we're working at even that level, how to just open up quietly enough without words. They don't have to say anything. They know that they're coming. They know they're safe. And just creating that moment is a big thing for a lot of people. Totally nice. And totally nice, even just like right now, I was just thinking of, yes, there's therapy, there's acupuncture, there's these things to access, but I also love what you're talking about is so available. Like you can just go outside and take a walk oh, God, and yes. suddenly oh, yeah. have Absolutely. that. And, yeah. and, you know, sometimes healing and being our healthiest self is a challenge and it's work. Yeah. But I also love the side of it. That's like, and there's also very quick. Yeah. Easy. easy. Yeah. But there are a lot of people in the world who don't have access to maybe get up to Tilden or to walk in a park. Uh, to walk amongst trees. They don't have the time or the resources. So there's a privilege in it as well. But I would say that most of us have access to do something, sitting under a tree and breathing. And there is something absolutely incredibly healing about that. What would it be like for, so your clients even, who maybe some of them are depression and anxious, what if you could do your therapy sessions walking, you know, in a path in Tilton Park, you know, amongst the oak trees across in the river? That, that would be so changing or just getting people to see that that's an option for them. I can go play video games for an hour or I can just go reset. And I know that it sounds judgmental because the, I don't mean for it to be because I feel like, okay, what's the, it's like a false economy when we say we don't have time to open up for that self-care. And so a lot of times I'll tell my patients because they all feel guilty for not doing enough self-care. We all feel guilty. That's another problem with our culture, right? We feel guilty when we're not taking care of ourselves. But just honor, but you're here now. Like, can you just, like, that's a, this radical act of self-care. Can you just honor yourself for that, this moment? And just, I want to get little stickers when they leave to say, like, you know, I got a self-care badge today. I you know, I, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Just participating in the self-care and, and saying no to that false economy that I don't have time to take care of myself. And a lot of people literally do not have time for that kind of self-care. Most of us have more time than we think. It doesn't take that much sometimes to do the one thing, a little walk in the park, 
sitting and listening to birds, even for 10 minutes, breathing, a deep breath. Revealing oneself, telling yes. one story, yeah. and yes. someone hearing it. Yeah. A lot of us are privileged, but the sense of being around people, community, something like my hopes is everyone in this world, regardless of circumstances, has the potential to be witnessed yes. and heard. Yeah, absolutely. Even for 10 minutes. Absolutely. Right? And so... It's powerful, too. Powerful. So, yeah. like, even the invitation to that and yeah. the thought of that and my hopes is that maybe an abundant resource Absolutely. that is available. Yeah. You know? yeah. And I think it is. I think that we lose track of how many opportunities there are out there. It's easy to get all the static of everything else that's going on to just say, oh, just this. I do want to open up. I'm not sure if there's an angle of more the systemic side of mm -hmm. this that you want to speak to. I don't know which question would serve you. I know there's a side of you there, too. Mm -hmm. Is is there something to be said there that hasn't been said? or The first thing that comes to mind is that a lot of people think, oh, I really, you know, I, I don't want to reject Western medicine, so I wouldn't do something like acupuncture. And it's not that. I mean, there is really an amalgamation. And we are so incredibly lucky that we have so many choices available to us. We have this many, we have Ayurvedic, we have, you know, there's so many choices in our area, especially for how people want to interact with their healthcare providers and what kinds of healthcare providers. So we tend to see a lot of people for whom maybe Western medicine has kind of come short, but we see an awful lot of people who we're part of their healthcare team, including, of course, straight up Western medicine, straight up psychiatrists who have them on any kind of mood enhancers or anti-anxiety meds like there's no we there's no judgment on our part a lot of private practice chinese medicine practitioners just like no you've got to get off your hormones you've got to get off these meds and or it, like that's just not us even if somebody said they came in and they smoked a pack a day we wouldn't ever say like you know you really shouldn't smoke like i think a lot of western medicine could really learn a lot from both trauma-informed care and concept of harm reduction I think that's one thing that people receive really beautifully. And again, that because it's it's honoring where they're coming from, it's honoring something deeper inside that they're willing to share that they think that they can do it, if they can do it without judgment. And Western medicine kind of has that. I mean, how many times do you open the news and it's like, okay, drinking two glasses of wine is really good for you. No, it's really bad for you. And, and we internalize that, that we're doing something good or we're doing something bad. I would love for that to get lifted. And are we going to put that on somebody to say, like, you did this to yourself? I just don't find that productive. I know the term harm reduction, but I'm going to urge you to give me a sense of what you're referencing when you're talking about a harm reduction approach to health and wellness. and Seeing people where they're at. That Again, that holding space. Like, my meditations in the morning is, how can I be of service today? And so if I'm coming into approaching a model of being of service... And somebody is coming to me and maybe they've just got terrible digestion issues. And I know they've got a super stressful job. They've got terrible arthritis. Maybe they're overweight and they smoke and drink three cups of coffee a day. They know all. I'm not, I'm not going to like enlighten them by telling them that maybe some of these things need to change in their daily choices that they're making. That's That shouldn't be my role. Where I can connect with them is like, wow, okay, I hear that you're in pain and there's some inflammation going on, let's try to lift that up. What do you love to do that this pain is keeping you from doing? 
and maybe it's playing with their grandchildren or walking around the block with ease. A heroin addict, for example. So, okay, how can we make it so that you're not craving as much that's make that, that's creating a situation where you're needing feeling like you're needing to make b- bad choices that are going to impact you later rather than just saying like you've got to stop i mean here we are kind of coming back to one the power of meeting people where they are two trusting the body yes yes and letting yeah it's just getting back i almost hear this energetic and tell me if this is accurate of like you know if we can just light a spark the fire will mm-hmm. burn. Mm-hmm. But not getting attached to the outcome. You're not getting... You know, because <laughs> the expectation that something's going to miraculously change, that sucks. That's like, that's not going to help anybody either. Right. So it's both. That's the, another colon, right? Totally. To how to move towards this, we're going to op- light this spark and things are going to fix. It's like, mm, sometimes it's going to, maybe it's going to take 20 years before we can do it. And sometimes it's just like that. And to not be attached to the outcome. Again, I, I'm going to go back to this question that's been fascinating me. Like, how do you personally f- inspire people to take the rest, right? Like, it's almost easier. Easier is the wrong word here. But it's almost easier because usually it's a more instantaneous feeding of something. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's a habit. It's and a, it's a habit. Exactly. And maybe it was formed when the amygdala was damaged when they were a child. Like, there's so, you know, yeah. we're really counting on the neoplasticity of the brain in order to find a new groove. Yeah. Where, how do you inspire people? I think that, again, the accessibility. So um, we often offer, we have a lot of specials where we let people come in and give a, a free card to somebody that they know. They're called the Lucky You cards. So we don't spend money on advertising because we feel like we just don't, the, the whole money part of it, and of course we need to make money. It's a, here we are, capitalism, an expensive area. But that sharing of it, like a gift. So if somebody gifts something to somebody, so that their first treatment then is free. There's no obstacle except just kind of getting in the door. A lot of people are curious about, oh, I've heard about acupuncture. I'm going to try it. Or maybe they've had acupuncture, but you know, when you're in private practice, you've got to charge between $60 and $150 a session. I mean, that's a, that's a big obstacle for a lot of people. So reducing the obstacle to, so that the invitation, the curiosity, the natural curiosity that a lot of people have about healing or participating in their own healing it's pretty easy. You just come in and you take a nap. So it's like extended shavasana. You know, it's like there, there's not a lot. You don't even have to do any of the hard work. You just come in, take your socks off, roll your pant legs up and take a nap. How hard is that? The hard part is getting there. And I gave up a long time ago trying to convince people that they should get acupuncture. I'll always offer, oh, well, you know, acupuncture can help with that. Here's a card. Beyond that, I just don't get attached to whether they come or not. It's really just providing the invitation, really ensuring that that we're as open as and accessible as possible and trusting that that's going to be enough. Totally. And what a great, I mean, the word accessibility, like, I'm just blown away. You got me, like, thinking about the world of therapy and how it really... There isn't a ton of accessibility in the world of that's therapy. It's difficult. It's very difficult. You can do group and, sessions, you know, yeah, but, but that's different. Yeah, I really am. Right. I My desire is for, uh, even behind this podcast, my desire is plant seeds, invite yeah. people, yeah. try to get healing more in this world, because I just yeah. think the world would be better Gosh, the yeah. more <laughs> everyone does a little bit more Right. Healing. Let you there know, be the, peace on earth and let it begin with me. I sing that children's song on my way to work all the time. <laughs> totally. And what a great answer to the conundrum of how it's just make it accessible. If it's mm-hmm. on every corner, it's probably more likely yeah. 
people are going to do it, you know, and I just, I love that approach and I commend that approach and I applaud you guys trying to create something that yeah, does that. it's it's interesting. You know, we're whispering, it's a, you know, maybe I'm just spending 10 minutes with a client. So there's a lot, all the bells and whistles of Chinese medicines. So I don't know if you've ever had cupping or moxa or all the really other fabulous things. Like we just don't do any of that because we're just here for the needles and letting the needles do the thing. And that quiet, just the interaction. There's something healing about just the ritual, the interaction. We do have massage therapists and cranial sacral and Reiki people who are renting rooms for us. So sometimes we refer people to that. I think manual therapies are really great. And we have a lot of uh, talk therapists that, that either refer to us and then we refer back. So it's everything, right? Just some modalities are a little more uh, available for grouping, so higher volume than others. And this just happens to be one of them. Totally. And there's also something about what I would, you know, I had a private practice for not that many years before we opened the community clinic. And what I found, like, for me energetically, you know, there's 800 acupuncturists probably in Berkeley, right, in the big East Bay. You have to kind of position yourself as being like, I'm the best healer for you. And so there's an ego in it that just has to because of the model of that, that kind of business. You're trying to attract more patients. And so when a client comes in, you spend like a half hour talking. And in some ways, you're, you're still that practitioner-patient relationship is a power relationship. There's always that power exchange where the practitioner is the one on top of that relationship. Well, that's very similar to Western medicine, doctors too. Like, you know, a patient will come in and the doctor is the one that knows and you're really, you're imparting the, your knowledge, your vast wisdom to this patient who is seeking it from you. And building that relationship, there was a, I became uncomfortable with it, for one, how much I had to charge. I wouldn't have been able to afford coming as often as I needed some of my patients to come see me. So that felt weird. And then the second part of it was, I'm, my ego it, it, this this whole relationship is structured so that I need to have a bigger ego in this or that I'm involved in the healing more than I really feel like I am involved. The I, the ego I, am involved in it. And so how to get it back to just the exchange. I learned a few things, little tricks with needles in a four-year master's program. And so how can I just channel that and, and really make it clear that we're doing this together or really that you're doing it. And I, again, I'm holding the space and the needles are doing some weird little electromagnet, you know, magic, and then just covering you up and letting you do your work and then going on to the next person. So patients are often hungry for that kind of power dynamic, whether they at a conscious level or unconscious level, that authoritarian exchange. But in the way our clinic is run, it's like, there's not time for that. I can get to know people deeply. You come 10 minutes twice a week for 10 years. I've gone to kids' weddings and, you know, baby showers. And it, there's a lot of, uh, because they get right down to the nitty gritty in those 10 minutes. Like, the small talk goes away. I wish more modalities could do that, but it's obvious why they can't. You can't have six people in this room and have them all have a, a, a quiet healing experience while you're trying to elicit deep, dark secrets from them. <laughs> That's not going to work very well. Totally. I'm feeling we're rounding the bend here. And so again, is there any other aspects of this you would like in this conversation that we haven't touched upon? Or I'm curious to see what happens in the next paradigm shift of healing. You know, we've had the scientific revolution was a big paradigm shift. And 
Newtonian physics did lots of things really well for a long time, and then quantum physics came in and said, oh, it answered a whole bunch of other questions that Newtonian physics didn't. It doesn't mean that Newtonian physics didn't work. There was just this something else. So at this quantum level, what is out there, and, and I know that there is already practitioners who are working on this notion of quant, how to do quantum healing, recognizing the quantum body. What is that going to look like from a... Um, a medical system once we all start seeing the benefits of working at that level. Do you have a imagination of it? Do you have uh, yes. like, Yeah, what, what what do you envision? I I love the question, but I'm curious, what do you sense? Where do you what do you think it's going to look like? I think it's going to look a lot more like therapy, but with a body approach. There's a this is this body talk and body intuitive thing that I was talking about. It, so it looks a lot like therapy, but it can be this, okay, yeah, you get this information from a yes-no answer, just from this very simple muscle testing. And um, maybe an exposure to a pesticide when you're a child, and there was something that happened where it got stuck in the small intestine, and pretty soon all of the small intestine cells started replicating with this injured mast cell. And how to... It just and hearing the story, unpacking the story for that, and it, it's never going to happen at a conscious level. There's some other connection, and that's what I'm going to have a hard time explaining right now. I'll send you some information on it. It's really fascinating. Then finding that some cells that that were, weren't were injured and having those mast cells maybe in the small intestine start replicating the healthy ones. You're kind of just changing back to, again, homeostasis, back to when there was a time for a lot of people where maybe they didn't have chronic digestive issues. Something happened. And even though that doesn't seem like it's not the kind of thing where they had, they were, you know, drank poison or something, and that messed up their digestive system, but some other thing happened where everything got off. And extracting the stories out of the body and giving the body permission to make it right I've seen just amazing evidence of this actually working, changing how the body internally is even structured back to the way it worked when it was working with ease. I've really tuned into prayer. Mm, and, yes. And it's a place now that Absolutely. I, that at the end of the day, I sort of say, you know, hey, I'm struggling today, feeling really anxious. May you just bless me with calm, ease. Yes. And it does seem to me, I know, once again, it's crazy to like talk about, but it does 100%. seem to me that I, and I think this is what you're speaking to, is like there's a way I'm inviting my body to do something on a different level yeah. or inviting the world to do it with giving me. Giving permission. Giving it permission. And suddenly, the next day I do wake up and I feel exactly better. I just invited my body to do something You surrendered. I, yeah. And that and that's really what prayer is, right? Yeah. This like articulating a kind of surrendering. And in um, metta, prayer, in Buddhist loving kindness, there's a, that may you be happy, may you be well, may you be safe, may you be full of peace. That's a prayer I use. And so offering that to yourself, offering it to others, offering it to random strangers on the street, it can just shift everything by, oh, right, that asking for something. We don't understand all of it, and we don't understand why prayer works, and we all have our different versions of who we're praying to, what we're praying to, what we're surrendering to. I really believe it all comes down to that as well. I'm glad you said that. I'm glad that you got, you offered that into the conversation, because I think, I think it's a lot.
Well, thank you. There's a lot here, and I oh, really yes. appreciate it, and it's wonderful of another piece of the quilt. So I just really do appreciate it. Thank you for you. having me. Thank you for asking the great questions. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we could probably talk for hours more about all the ways in which we're thinking about how to help people heal. Thank you, Julia Carpenter, for sharing your wisdom with us. And a shout out to my best bud, Justin Reed, for the music you hear in each episode. If you want to reach out to either of these individuals, there are links in the show notes, so check those out. And of course, thank you to you, the listener, for joining us. If you are digging these conversations, please help us spread the word by telling people directly or through social media about this podcast. Tune in again for another great episode.